You are listening to the Savage Fincast Retro, Episode 30, Freak Force, 17 and 18. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast Retro, the show hosted by the world's oldest millennial. My name is Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. And I'm Augie DeBleek, Jr., hey. that is. <laughs> hey, Augie. Uh, we <laughs> made, uh, we should, probably should have had you on earlier than this, but, you know, uh, better late than never. So yeah, it's, we, as, it's as much my fault. It's okay. I, I forgive you guys. Uh, As some people out there may or may not know, Augie is a self-professed biggest Freak Force fan on the internet (laughs) and possibly the planet. Uh, Famous Savage Dragon letter hack, too, with maybe uh, Olav Beamer. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, How many letters do you think you've written into Dragon and, you know, the different uh, spinoffs over the years? I mean, it's it's definitely in three figures. I mean, it's definitely over a hundred and probably 50 i one time had it counted out that i've had 400 letters printed overall total and you know eric is probably probably responsible for darn close to half of those it's probably about 100 150 somewhere in there amazing yeah it was a good run i think yeah it's like i feel like at least it feels like every issue or every other issue you can find one of your letters in there at least in the earlier issues yeah Um, first 100 150 or so i guess I think your other kind of Savage Dragon fandom claim to fame is having your own character in the Savage Dragon universe <laughs> with uh, Savage Dragon 115 and uh, the Freak Force story there, which was pretty amazing. That was quite a fun day at the comic shop because nobody told me about it. <laughs> nobody told you that you were going to be like a main character in this. It's not even like a, a backup in a way. It's it's almost it's a full length, right? I mean, yeah. It, it's yeah. not the main story, but it's it's in one of those double-sized issues. Yeah, so it was a double-sized issue. That that story was, I don't think it was a full 20 pages. Maybe been 15. I don't know, maybe 15 That's, or 20. It's a lot of pages, though. <laughs> yeah, I have to go back and look. I own a bunch of them now, thankfully. Yeah, so uh, do I. I actually, uh, <laughs> I have like four or five pages from that. Yeah. I, I met Mark Engler at uh, San Diego Comic-Con that year after that issue had been published, and he made sure to save the pages for me. And That's he, awesome. He made off with a lot of money that day. <laughs> and the, the funny awesome. sto- the funny story behind that i don't know if i've ever told this one in public before uh, robert kirkman had emailed me and said he needed pictures of me <laughs> and this was probably in the this would probably be the days before i had a digital camera right. and i i put off doing it i think he told me he wanted to put me in as a zombie in the walking dead at the time <laughs> we'll have to double check the timeline if this all works out but and other comic book reviewers and other professionals had been been zombified in the early issues of the walking dead if you look carefully enough 
Right. And I just delayed doing it and delayed doing it. And I just forgot and I never did it. Turns wow. out he was gathering photo reference for Mark for this Mark story. Englert. Yeah. Mark, so for the listener, Mark Inglet drew the ba- the backup in 115, which was the Freak Force backup. And it was kind of the the long awaited return to Freak Force <laughs> in the Savage uh, Savage uh, World universe, which there were a lot of the characters looked a lot different <laughs> or behaved a lot different. Um, and then, uh, just, uh, again, I guess for the listeners, for all that might not know you, um, you were, uh, you ran the pipeline comics for comic book resources as kind of a comic book analyst. You wrote an article like weekly, right? It was called the pipeline then. Yes. Uh, I actually started on Usenet back in the day and about, uh, after a hundred weeks of that, then Jonah brought me on to write for CBR where I wrote through, um, 1000. So and, I wrote that for a thousand weeks straight. And I remember like always kind of tuning in to, to read your articles. And then I guess what CBR, did you leave after CBR was sold or did you stay on for a little bit after? I, or I stayed on uh, C, <laughs> CBR uh, sold out to Velnet or Jonah sold out to Velnet. He, uh, he secured the bag as they say, good. Yeah. <laughs> he, he got out while the getting was good. And, you know, I think he had had enough of the comic book industry too, to a certain degree. Right. Uh, so yeah, I was left behind. I I stuck around, and then Valnet decided they were going in a different direction. And I forget how long it was exactly. A year or two later, uh, after after CBR sold, they uh, they told me they didn't need my services anymore. So and then you started your own Patreon slash blog, and now podcast. And your direction kind of changed from just kind of general American comics to like um, European Franco Belgian comics, like yeah. maybe like what ten years ago, maybe less. Uh, it's been six since I've had the, my own website now. So pipelinecomics.com is six years old. Uh, it's been twenty six years since I started writing Pipeline overall. This month, as a matter of fact. In fact, wow. I think today or tomorrow may actually be the exact twenty sixth anniversary i forget the exact date it would be wow amazing yeah. good for <laughs> yeah. you man yeah i mean it's not exactly weekly anymore and i've been kind of low content for the past few months for various reasons but mm-hmm. yeah so i mostly i discovered the world of franco-belgian comics you know various comic book conventions in the early 2000s and, and it just got to the point where after i left cbr and i was kind of tired of, of superheroes to a certain degree uh, the, the Franco-Belgian comics were more available thanks to translating them and putting them up digitally. They were super easy to find out. They weren't as difficult as they used to be. So I started reading those a lot, and that became, for the last you know five or six years, the focus of, of most of my comics reading, and all, most of my comics writing as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It keeps me busy. It keeps the life interesting. Yeah, I we got to imagine too is like just I don't know if you speak or could read French or Belgian uh you know it, it must be hard to find a lot of translated stuff besides like the the major kind of uh the major yeah. titles. Yeah, there's a couple of groups that are working on translating things legitimately and honestly and there's mm. believe it or not there's more stuff being printed in English these days than ever before. I mean a Blaze which is a I think a British publisher they're publishing some of the the recent books that are really good, and you know, Fantagraphics and Dark Horse and a yeah. bunch of the publishers here in North America do too. Even if you don't necessarily always realize that they're initially Franco-Belgian comics, I've started. I I took French back in high school. I've forgotten most of it since then, but I've been doing you know Duolingo for the past couple of years and trying to catch up. And 
I've learned a lot there to the point where I can sort of fake my way through some French comics or some pages of some French comics. So right. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get ahead of that. I do love right. European comics a lot. And you're right. There are a lot of them coming out these days, um, more yeah. so than ever before. Yeah, I just Why have to point more people to them. They have yeah. to listen to me and believe me and try them. Yeah. They're great. Why do you think it hasn't caught on sooner or why why are we so late to the game with <sighs> French comics in general? It's I mean, there's probably a few reasons for it. One is just format wise. They're they're done in a different format. They're done mostly in forty eight page or fifty six page complete stories in the album format, which is oversized by, you know, North American standards. Publishers don't like publishing bigger books. Yeah. If you shrink them down, they look awful. A lot of times you can barely read the lettering because they were drawn and meant for a larger page size. There are some differences in um, in culture between North American comics and European comics. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of there's big differences. And even in storytelling, there's not as much of a reliance on the three-act structure necessarily or um, happy endings all the time, that kind of thing. So there's there's a bunch of things working against it. And then just because everything is an album format it tends to be quote unquote and this is something i always argue against more expensive although from for my money i think you get more story per page per story with with a even if it's a digital comic um than you do with a north american one but again that falls on deaf ears a lot but i think there's just a number of those institutional things going along and not enough publishers are, are willing to go all in on it just yet but we're we're getting there. There's more and more every year, so I'm happy about that at least. Cool. And if yeah. you know listeners want to learn more, they can go to your your website too, right? It's uh, oh, pipeline.com. Yeah. Uh, Pipelinecomics.com. Pipeline yes. Right. Yeah, that'll get you there. And there's I think three or four hundred reviews in there. Wow. If, you, if you need any help finding something, just let me know. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll help you anytime. So, um, yeah. So, as a comic reviewer, you are prolific. Clearly. Um, So when did you start? Like, uh, I mean, let's get into Savage Dragon. When did you become a Savage Dragon fan? Like, where did you start? Um, So I started reading comics in 1989. My first one was Amazing Spider-Man 318. So I started with Todd McFarlane at the end of his run. So I just, you know, Spider-Man was my guy. And I rolled right over into Eric's run. And I really enjoyed it. And so when Image formed, I just followed him, basically. And of all the image books that started, I thought, you know, Dragon was the best of the group, um, especially story wise and and actually coming out. Although, you know, there were some delays in the early days there with the characters yeah. getting married and all that. But um, I just enjoyed the characters, the craziness, uh, Eric's storytelling styles, all that kind of stuff. And I got hooked into it. And it was for me, especially at that point when I was probably, I guess, about 16 or so when that all happened, it was kind of like. It was my universe. It was I was on the ground floor of this thing. You know, I started reading Marvel and DC comics, which were at that point already 50 years old or so. Right. Image Comics was, you know, this was the start of a new thing. And I was right there at the beginning and I was reading as many of them as I could afford, which, you know, for the first year was all of them. And then as Extreme and Wildstorm started publishing more and more stuff, I couldn't keep up with everything. But uh, Eric kept things pretty focused. So I, I stuck with him, and um, I had started writing letters uh, probably around 1990 or so even. I was fairly quick to that just because I liked – I don't know. There's 
I've always had this problem with keeping my opinion to myself, as you can <laughs> tell, after 26 years of writing Pipeline. Uh, so I, I wrote letters. That was my outlet. And they started getting published. And, and Eric started publishing them. I still think, and I've talked to some editors at companies uh, over the years, and a big advantage for me was that I could write complete and coherent sentences. So they were happy to publish. <laughs> I can only imagine the crap they were getting back then. Yeah, especially from like younger kids, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. it wasn't, it's not, you know, it's like 40 year olds make up most of the audience now, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, the, the letters are somewhat better. But, you know, if you're looking at 1990, when it's a bunch of, you know, 10 to 14 year olds, they're, uh, <laughs> they're pretty funny, especially some of the ones Eric was, was publishing, you know, with the strong opinions <laughs> and everything. Yes, yes. We all, we all <laughs> knew we were right back then, too. So. <laughs> And now it's a great time capsule that I'm sorry we don't have in more comics these days. Did you ever um, write to uh, Marvel with like Amazing Spider-Man before the guys jumped over to Image? Um, I may have written those comics, but, they, but I never got published in any of them. Uh, my gotcha. first letter was in a, a Star Trek The Next Generation comic wow. from DC Comics, yeah. And then I had a few in Marvel Comics Presents. Um, probably just around the time of Weapon X or just thereafter. Oh, no kidding. Cool. Uh, yeah. Those are great issues to be in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those, are, those are good times. I And I know I've read, I think I started reading MCP around issue 50 or so. So when Eric had, you know, that yeah, great wraparound crossover. cover. Yeah. yeah, he did all the, the Excalibur stuff. All that. So I think I had jumped on around that time too. So it all kind of, the timing worked out well for Eric Larson fandom. The infamous Savage Dragon appearance in Marvel Con presents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that Finn. <laughs> he drew it right. It's okay. And so I guess digging deeper now, uh, Savage Dragon's out, and now along comes kind of the spinoffs, Vanguard, uh, Super mm-hmm. Patriot, and then we get Freak Force. And apparently this comic really captured young Augie's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was, I've been thinking about that while I've been listening to this series, while listening to you guys talk <laughs> no. about this. Why do I like it so much? I've been trying to figure that out. I've been racking my brains, and I think I have a theory on this. All right, it's, give it to so us. Sit back. Yeah, here we go. Um, I started, again, started reading comics in 1989. I read the the last couple of issues of the Giffen, Dematis, you know, Bwahaha Justice League era books as they came out. Okay. I, I didn't go back and reread. I didn't get those issues until I found them in a back issue bin a few years later. So I had heard about how great they were. I had read the last few issues, which got more serious, but still had that sense of humor that I enjoyed. So I wanted to read more. So Freak Force kind of took that spot for me. It was it was that Justice League flavor for Image Comics, more or less. Maybe not quite so. Well, maybe it was <laughs> that same flavor. Maybe it was as over the top as that one was. I'm not sure. But Freak Force... Worked for me on, on that level, I think, and just the fact that it was in a world of image comics, which we can all remember the styles that sort of dominated the day back then. I, I do right. recall, even though yes. I didn't read any of them. Yes, they there were a lot, a lot of cross hatching and slashing of ink lines and stuff. Uh, this one, Freak Force, looked a lot different than those. Yeah. It looked. Yeah. It almost kind of looked like to me some of the the sort of the late 80s independent comics boom comics I had read. Uh, there were a couple of comic shops during the glut times that were around and selling, you know, back issues of even black and white books and sort of forgotten books, that kind of thing. And the style was different. I mean, obviously, even back then I knew 
Vic Bridges liked John Byrne a lot. Right. I, I read Namor. I read John Byrne's Next Men. I read a few other Byrne books. So I knew the styles were the same. But to me, when he compared Freak Force to um, to the rest of Image Comics, Freak Force seemed very different, very much in a, a different flavor and tone. And, uh, and I kind of grabbed onto that. I liked that a lot, too. So it was a good looking book. It was a funny book by the same, you know, plotter who gave us the Justice League books that I wanted to read but didn't have easy access to yet at that point. And, you know, there are characters I liked from from the original series. And I do like funny books. I like like yeah. funny books that have humor. Right. I like, I, I like a good Marx Brothers movie. I like a good funny nowadays European comic. So this kind of merged all those things in together at once. And that's I think that's probably where. I started liking Freak Force so much or why I started liking it so much. I do think, you know, it's no secret we've been pretty critical maybe of Vic Bridges' art. (laughs) Um, Although I will say. Well, are we critical of his art or are we critical of his choices? Because some of his choices are pretty – like like the drop shadow panel things and like Mm. uh, the the – the costumes that you know the everyday clothes that the characters are wearing are pretty garish. <laughs> I uh, like those. <laughs> it was just superheroes wearing regular clothes. I mean, half of those clothes have now come back into style. You can get away with wearing a t-shirt tucked into your biker shorts again. Come on! All my shirts have the image eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's inside jokes. I like it. The weird like pictures on every you know it, uh, on every wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. like what? I mean, yeah, I mean, we're a little harsh. Um, I will say it probably stands the test of time better than most of the spin-off image comics where there were a million Lifefield and McFarlane clones yeah. that weren't even close to Lifefield and McFarlane, but you could tell they were trying. And yes. I would much rather have this freak force drawn by somebody that it's got more of a burn flavor who I do really enjoy his work still to this day. Um, Somebody I do. To. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stuff's great. I'm sorry. I, I do. Uh, I, I will not um, feel bad for liking John Byrne. Um, he, he copied the burn style before burn made every panel on a diagonal angle yeah. kind of thing across the page, which, you know, I like the grid better. And, and I think that was something with Eric's comics that I really enjoyed is that he didn't, just go after a bunch of guys that were going to ape his style. He went after yeah, guys sure. that had more of a classic style or a cleaner style. Um, That's true. And no, none of the spinoff books look like Eric. No, no, they're all completely no. different from each other as well as from what Eric is doing. And now sometimes has- from issue to issue like Vanguard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That was a fun experiment. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in the long yeah. run. Um, but yeah, I do hear you, Augie, like the, the humor. Um, I, I just felt like re I think I had a, a glossier picture of freak force before I went back and reread. I hadn't reread it in years before, um, our recent reread for the podcast yeah. and some issues just completely fall flat and, and some issues are good. I wouldn't call any of the issues for me, like spectacular you know mm-hmm. I, the ones that stand out maybe the finkelberry one the the mm-hmm. martian the cosmic cops and these right. last few issues with um dr verlag are kind of cool yeah. um and then there's utter flops like you know the the one where like the, the you know 
the cyber uh, force crossover oh, yeah. was like, <laughs> what, really? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, how, how do you feel kind of going back now and looking at it? You still feel the same? Has it lost a little bit of the shine or – you, you know, wh- you will never you... get me to admit to that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I have a character to maintain that I've maintained in the Facebook group for the last year. You've been going through this. Uh, but seriously, uh, yeah, I did reread all 18 issues this week in preparation wow. for this appearance. Awesome. Well, thank and, you. <laughs> and I hate you all for putting thoughts in my mind as I was reading them. <laughs> because, yes, there are definitely panels here and there that suffered from perspective issues in some cases or you know overlapping panel choice or breaking out of panel choices and that kind of thing there are you know i would say isolated issues but i think any artist who draws 18 continuous issues of a series will have a their fair share of you know less great ones and i do think i mean one i think the inker is super important i think you know carl kiesel's first issue i think might be the best looking issue of the whole run to be honest okay yeah uh, eric's on the last issue the second inks, best yeah. looking one yeah where eric inked it we'll get to that later um and then there's a little bit i think when chad hunt first came on it was a good style but i, I think it took him a little while to find it exactly and the, the lines were a little too thin i think in some places maybe we'll get to that later yeah. Um, so I th- and I think also there's a case where Vic Bridges may have been running out of steam a little bit near the end. I right. took a look online and and to see did these issues all come out on time because they lasted 18 issues and in fact they only ever missed one month. I think it was between like issues 14 and 15 or something. Wow. Yeah, which is I amazing. These, <laughs> I do these retro reviews based on the publication month. I try to stagger them so they stay in sync with the okay. Savage Dragon issues. And yes, yeah. we, we've basically been two on, two off, two on, two off the whole time. Uh, this yeah. book came out pretty much on time the whole time. Yeah, there was there was a couple of times there was maybe five or six weeks, but then there was a couple of issues that came out, like one came out three weeks after the other. So they they kept the you know Eric kept things moving here on the series and and Vic Bridges kept going. I thought I was worried when I was looking at the last few issues that maybe maybe they had stuttered to an end. Maybe the last few issues were a couple months apart in each case, but that that didn't happen at all. And in fact, I wonder what happened with that missing month if it was just you know we missed this Eric missed a solicitation or something by mistake and made up for it afterwards. I don't know, but yeah, I think I definitely think maybe you know Vic was done with comics after this. So maybe he was kind of struggling to get to the end there. Yeah. I mean, 1995 for 18 consecutive, almost 18 consecutive image comics to come out month to month to month is, is pretty amazing when you think about it. And as much as these were tied in with the main title, um, it was probably important that they came out, you know, pretty closely together. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start having things like uh, the gang war afterwards and you start seeing, you know, the characters and, you know, you're not, you know, Johnny, uh, uh, Johnny Redbeard kind of, you're getting his backstory and stuff in, in the pages of freak force. And then he's kind of just showing up in savage dragon. So it was kind of important that you read both to get the full picture. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was one of the super Patriot miniseries right after, or was, I guess it was running yes. currently with it. Uh, I think actually there's even an ad in 17 for, Oh yeah. Uh, yep. There it is. Yeah. So issue 17 is around the same time as the ending of super Patriot. Uh, okay. yeah, the first one, is it the first one or was it the, Oh man, two? I don't you know. guys are probably better at this than I am. You've paid more attention <laughs> to it recently. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you guys can tell the interaction between the main title and this one better than I probably can at this point, too. Trying to think. There's Craig, what do you think of trying to think of? Think of there was an issue. Was it one of the Freak Force issues had a preview for Super Patriot uh Liberty and Justice. Liberty yeah. and I, Justice. I, I okay. think that was I think that was oh, yeah. uh sixteen maybe. Yeah, there's an ad in fifteen. Yes. Yeah, there's a few pages in sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, so that's all going on. Um, and again, there is an ad in seventeen which shows, you know, you've got Super Patriot four grand finale, you've got Savage Dragon twenty three, Deadly Duo uh number four, which was uh the the second volume, I believe, right. and star number four. So so you got a bunch of different things going on in, in the highbrow universe um and and if i may take a moment just to pat myself on the back on this one i guessed the correct secret identity of star before it was revealed so eric couldn't publish my letter oh no kidding <laughs> yeah. I, it, there's very few plot lines i've been able to guess ahead of time i'm kind of slow with the, those things but i i got that one at least that's pretty wild yeah. that was a good did series. he eventually publish it or it just didn't get published i don't think it did no i, I should say that i have to go back and take a look it's very rare I ever guess correctly on where Eric is going with anything. Yeah, it's pretty far out there sometimes. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah, It's a testament of his ability to uh, surprise you and, and write a decent yarn. By now you should know all his tricks. You would think so, but <laughs> no. No, not at all. So why don't we... Uh, you want to talk a little bit more about some of the, or Augie, you want to kind of do the airing of grievances. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have taken better notes. I, I will, I will let you guys off easy. Uh, <laughs> as for the pictures in the background that change and have weird things on them, that's been done in funny books before. I think uh, Don Rosa and his uncle Scrooge comics would always throw funny little one page, one panel gag things in in the back and references to old stories and stuff on pictures that were hanging in Scrooge's office. So I'm right. going to say Vic Bridges was homaging that <laughs> with those choices. Uh, the, the, the panels with the shadow borders that you hate so much, <laughs> you, you know, if that's the biggest artistic choice that an image creator made in 1994, I think we can let him get away with it. <laughs> Considering what some other people were doing at the time, it's fine. Uh, you don't like their clothing, you know, it's their bodies <laughs> and their choices. I, I kind of like the idea of comic book characters who do have different clothes every day and who do wear normal people clothes. And yes, labels are important in the fashion world. So they're going to put the image eye on everything. God bless America. <laughs> and what, what else do I have? I just have all these comics here. I just flip through them all and tell you where you're wrong. How about a uh, Vic's uh, version of uh, our artist savage dragon character <laughs> savage dragon looks like a green guy with a fin what more do you need oh come on come on it's fine everyone <laughs> walks upright it's it's fine <laughs> every i i like artistic interpretations of characters and hordus is uh well hordus is a little awkward face. sometimes yeah there's some <laughs> right, awkward i'll give you that one there's even some awkward uh, uh barbarics in in these last few issues i'm not sure if it's just awkward or we're seeing him at 
angles uh, we've the weird had angles. seen before. Yeah, like looking up his nostrils and stuff. It's it's a little weird, but it's again, I think by the end here, there's a little running out of steam thing going on. I'm I'm not sure. I I'm feel just gonna like, go. Um, Barbaric and Vanguard kind of look handsome until you see like the side profile view and you realize they have no nose. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> And Barbaric doesn't have the uh, the shoulder pads on, and all of a sudden he looks like a Red Hulk. And you realize <laughs> yeah. when he's nearly naked that he looks like a different character altogether. <laughs> and we'll get to that in these two issues. Yeah, yes, being shaved doesn't do him any favors. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. That's a big big difference. He needs the uh, the, the braids in his hair. Um, and so what else? What else is there? There's so much. I mean, I yelled at my car stereo so often. <laughs> For the last year, I and really now you're gonna this. go back, re-listen to this, and yell at yourself for not coming up with the things you wanted to talk about. After you, once you remember them, after we're off there. Oh well, no, I'll invite myself back. That's all. <laughs> uh, you have another Freak Force three-part miniseries that'll come up yeah, eventually. We do. Yep. So I'll come back and we'll do that as a two-parter, and the first part will be me yelling at you guys. I'll listen to all those hours of podcasts again. Or I'll go to my Facebook messages to you guys, and and we'll find out where you were wrong. There's plenty there. And maybe 15 years from now, we'll uh, touch upon Savage Dragon 115. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, have you on for that. <laughs> Definitely. And then there's also kind of like a freak force. Is it an epilogue or just another story that Vic kind of well, there was a, just there was turned a Chelsea, into Eric? There's a, there's a Chelsea Nirvana story uh, that crops up in issue. Let's see here. Because I'm not sure what issue that is, but I remember it vividly because at the time I had no understanding of what the hell was going on. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Eric saying, like, you know, Vic just kind of turned it in. He wasn't even expecting it. Mm. I I almost completely forgot about it. Now I'm going to have to. When you find that issue number, let me know. I'm digging that up next. I am in the process of using the wiki's magic. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, the wiki is slow to load. Oh, darn you, Internet. We're losing listeners by the second, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> if I haven't scared them away already. <laughs> Who is that weird voice that's not Raven? <laughs> Who is the sense of reason, I hear? <laughs> well, reason is a relative <laughs> term, really. All right, let's see I'm here see to play here. the character. <laughs> 136, which is the wow. one. Yeah, 136, which is the one where dragons fight in prism on the cover. Oh, okay. I remember that cover. I'm writing it down. I'm pulling Ten it out. Ten-page story. Finding Nirvana. Yep. <laughs> and he wrote it, too, and yeah, he just showed up out of nowhere, I guess. Hmm. I guess it was just to, like, explain what happened to Chelsea Nirvana in the Savage World. Oh, awesome. I'm in. <laughs> um, What else? Uh, shoot. Should we just start with 17? I I guess we can just start talking about these funny books. Yeah. I mean, 17 has the illegible uh, type on the front cover where it's, you know, purple (laughs) bleeding into black that you can't read. But who am I to judge? It is. I think it's one of Vic's best covers, though. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and in some ways, the illegibleness of it enhances it so you can see the art better. (laughs) Yeah, you don't even you don't even notice at first glance that Freak Force is up there in the in the top part of the cover because that yellow shirt and the purple you know outfit pop out so well. 
Did did Kessel ink every cover? Because I see he might have Kessel still ink in this. I, I didn't yeah. even ever think to check that, but I'm. If he's here at the end on both the last issues, I got to assume he was here for any of them, all of them, uh, or any, got, any of the ones that Dave Johnson didn't do. Yeah, he got did twelve, sixteen in front of me, and I think he definitely did sixteen. Yeah. It's not a credit in front of fifteen. Well, it looks like he did. I'm, I have the whole pile in front of me here, and it's always yeah, it's always Bridges Kessel. Cool. Where, where there are covers that have names signed to them, there's a couple of covers that don't have any signatures at all. Although it looks like number six, where Mighty Man's Seeker is revealed, is just Bridges alone. Hmm. And issue four is Bridges alone also. This might be more than the listeners care about, but yes, yeah, so he was there for a lot of them. Thank now- goodness. Did did Chad Hunt in ink any other issues? Did he do the Not previous issue? Uh, was he on sixteen? He because was I on wanna... sixteen. Okay, no, he was. He Chad Hunt inked sixteen. Yeah, sixteen and fifteen both at least. Okay. Oh, in fact, on issue fifteen, there's a correction in the letters column. Fourteen was inked entirely by Chad Hunt, oh. with a cover inked by Alan Gordon. Oh, okay. So there you go. So he's been he's been the inker for a few issues, and I got to say these last yeah. bunch of issues are the better best looking the series has been, I would say uh, since like uh, since um the first one, mm-hmm. right? And then of course in eighteen Larson inks it. So yeah, I wasn't much of a fan of uh, uh, what's his name, Mike Miller. Mike Miller. Yeah, no, I well, thought his inks were pretty bad. I'll be completely honest, really, really rough. Well, here's where I think his inking was really great because I have to disagree with everything you guys say, of course. It, <laughs> it was really great because he sold the pages really cheap on eBay afterwards, and I picked <laughs> up a whole lot of them, like in the early days of eBay, like 2000, 2002, nice. somewhere. Yeah. So I was picking up for like $35 a page. They're oh awesome. Gosh. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any from these issues. Good just, Lord. Just Miller's issues. I think I might have one from issue one, though. There's a stack behind me somewhere. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was. I wish I could get any comic page for $35. <laughs> That's when, it's, when I started buying original art in 2000. Uh, this is probably 2001 or maybe two. My first convention, I bought like a Steve Lieber whiteout page for $35. I, re- I remember like Kirby pages being like 300 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You couldn't buy a panel for that much anymore. No. Yeah. That market's gone completely off the. I, I think the art speculators got their mitts on it at some point, and it's just gone to hell yeah. ever since. Yeah. Yep. All the fun is gone, unfortunately. I'm holding on to, well, not holding, I'm holding on to most of what I have, and I'm happy to have it. I did grab early uh, Ninja Turtle uh, Savage Dragon appearances from the oh. Frank Fosco ones back in the day, which I couldn't even be able to touch now. No. No. Those are good pages, though. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, though, because it felt like it wasn't on anyone's radar. No one really cared. Probably like these Freak Force pages. I've gone yeah. back and looked for Freak Force pages on eBay, like in, I think during COVID, and they're just nowhere to be found now. Uh, they're, no one wants to sell them if they have them. Yeah, uh, well, and if they are on there, they're way too much money for you know, a, a page with just talking heads. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder what they'd even go for these days because there's not much to comp them out with, or you can't com- compare them to anything else that's sold recently. So just be whoever's crazy enough to start bidding them up. Right. I'll I'll take a page and test it out for you later. <laughs> <laughs> Put a page on eBay and see what happens. So uh, yep. we tried to jump in this and we got sidetracked. So let's yeah, jump sorry. into. I gotta ask you one question. Fault. This this is the yeah. first time we've met Doctor Verglag, uh, right? I think so. He so, kind of like like so uh, he's behind Freak Factor. Yeah, barbaric. Remember, he knocks down the door and he's like surprised, and we don't see who he's surprised at seeing. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, you." Um, but apparently, yeah. he's got history with him. Apparently, he's the what the cause of their uh, mutations. No, no, he uh, is. Uh, and th- Augie, feel free to jump in, <laughs> yeah. but he's with the Mutate Manpower Management Service. <laughs> uh, which pro- you know obviously is a dig on what the mighty Marvel Marching Society. Yep. Something. Uh, yep. Um, but he, I guess they run like a kind of a slave camp where they enslave superpower beings. And then there's kind of like a, a little like inside joke in there with Giffen is that it's kind of like a suicide squad. Like they okay. they collect these guys and you know. Uh, Basically, brainwash him I, or yeah or hand him over to the government or something to that effect but uh he's basically enslaving these freaks yeah it, it uh, sounds like from what i read it sounds like it started out as being sort of a, a government you know, it was a prison for bad superpowered people and then for like took it one step further and started basically abducting superpowered people to help create his his workforce basically right right um, for whatever to whatever end he was using them for, um, so he went a little overboard and started just collecting mutants to uh, and, and, to abuse. And, and Freak Factor was part of that, where they were basically recruiting freaks to be heroes. They would go on a few missions for PR purposes and then get abducted. Yeah, it was a yep. front to abduct yeah. them. Yeah, and so at one point, Ricochet, Barbaric, and Jerry the Inhabitor were in this camp. And they were the only ones that were that survived, like that escaped. Right. Except for Jerry got left behind, and so he blames so so he didn't give, and Ricochet. So he didn't, so he didn't give them their powers. They were already had powers. They were just abducted by this guy. They that's were abducted. Yep. That's why they have history. Right. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. One thing, though, is kind of weird to me, and it's never explained, and oh, maybe it's a good thing in this day and age that you don't have to explain this, is like when you look at uh, Dr. Verlag's guards, yeah. I guess they got the V for Verlag. He's got like a little person there. Is that like a power or it's just some – like what – it's just oh, yeah. an odd choice. Like, I'm not sure I ever noticed they were there. Yeah. Huh. He's kind of like a power. puck guy, but he never like has me, you know. Yeah, is he holding like a bowler hat? Is this like a prisoner reference or something <laughs> with his cane? It's oh yeah, fashion choice. Yeah. yeah, that's strange. That's the first I've noticed it, and I don't ever see it ever again. I feel yeah. like it's in his hand on page three again. He never wears it. He never wears it. Yeah. Is it some kind of like uh, homage to another villain or something? That yeah, it might I don't be. Know? I have no Thank idea. You. We'll have to ask if in some day. You introduce a hat. You really should uh, give us <laughs> shows on his head at some point. Maybe it's a Bond villain thing. Maybe. And, and 
I really have no idea why his henchmen are wearing like bubbles over their heads. Well, these they kind of these seem like the un the unprogrammed henchmen. These seem to be like his goons. Yeah, like these are guys you see in front of the computer next issue. Yeah, these guys don't have chips in their fore. These guys don't have chips in their forehead. They show up next issue without the bubble too, which is kind of weird. But Hmm. well, I I don't know. That's that's because uh, I believe Barbaric smashes them in this. uh, in this issue. Yeah. Ah. Oh, that's right. You had the uh, the weights, the, the chain, the ball and chains. Seems like a bad thing to give a super strong guy. A couple <laughs> of weapons to swing around. Yeah. I don't think that was very well thought out. I guess they thought it would keep his arms down or something. <laughs> but uh, we do Poor see part. a bunch of characters that we've seen previously in the series. So we get a lot of callbacks to the series you know, through its entire run, like Rushmore, uh, the one with hair, wild hair, I guess her name is. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, and major disaster, of course. So, yeah. And, and I will say, like, I, I do feel like these last two issues, there's a lot of good character development and uh, a lot of cool stuff happening. So it's kind of funny to be like, kind of dumping on this comic and getting Augie all worked up. And then like, he's on the, the, the program now. And it's like the two issues I feel like are some of the better issues of the run. And I don't have that much to say. I so just I'm not being to- a coward in front of you, Augie. I actually <laughs> do like these. Uh, issues. <laughs> I, I mean, I really just came here so I could listen to you guys eat your words for an hour. <laughs> well, that's I the thing. Just, I, I mean- bided my time. I mean, that's the thing. I also really like these last two issues because it feels like a if it feels like a proper culmination of events. Characters are having arcs and they are having things that matter to them, and they have and they're having and everything's kind of coming together. Uh, the plot threads that have been seeded throughout the series are are being resolved, and it's just unfortunate that this didn't happen in like issue ten. Yeah. Uh, Although I'll say it doesn't feel rushed either. You know, some of these it things. Is and it isn't. I, I, yeah. I, I think it is a little bit crammed. I think there are three storylines being smushed together to an ending, but I think they do it well. Not yeah. every book, not every comic can do that where they need to resolve these things. And in doing so, it often feels rushed where here it doesn't, you can sort of see the smushing, but it doesn't feel rushed, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah, and it's a classic case of if this were a comic book today, most of these issues would be six-issue storylines. <laughs> Maybe not for Eric because he, he's good right. about moving through things, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Like the Invasion of New York storyline would have been a lot longer. I think this storyline with the camp would have been more than two issues. You could have filled out a lot more fighting and ramped it up even more. Well, I think the Battle for more. New York should have been a little longer. I think the fact that yeah. it got truncated the way it did was kind of unsatisfying as far as that arc went. I think it started great, but I think it ended poorly. Yeah, in retrospect, that one, when I was reading it recently, felt it just felt weird. It felt out of place, like they were moving in different directions and just kind of stopped. Like, I don't... Okay, so here we go, airing of grievances again. I don't <laughs> mind so much the, the, the ending that, you know, Hardest trips over something and breaks it, and that's how they win the day. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's Hardest. It's kind of part of her personality is she's this naive bumpkin doesn't know what she's doing, and she trips over things. And it kind of makes sense. If anyone else had done it, it might have seemed a little weird and ham-fisted. But with her doing it, it, it it's also funnier because it so goes against what your typical comic book storyline would be. Right. I would have to build up to this insane fight and how someone would have to have this 
heroic moment and give their lives to save the day. Instead, Hardis, you know, kills the woman on her back and then, you know, pulls the thing out by mistake and everyone goes away. It, it, part of that is the humor to me. But, yeah, I think that storyline I can agree with you on was a little bit. It felt weird while I was reading it. Like, where is it going? I wasn't quite sure. Not in a good way. It was just paced weirdly, I think. It's just the opening is so good. Yeah. See, see, one of my big complaints about this series the whole time is that it hasn't felt very Giffen to me from mm-hmm. my, my familiarity with Giffen as a writer. Um, but yeah. that felt Giffen to me where because yeah. Giffen can kind of balance the humor and the drama and the and the and the, and the um, fucked up situations in, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way in a lot of other books that he does. Whereas in Freak Force, it's a lot more it's a lot more humor and not a lot of the other. So when yeah. the the cosmic cops show up and just start smushing everybody, <laughs> and you get all the descriptions of who's dying, that felt yeah. like I, I'm not I can't be 100 percent sure uh, if it was Giffen or Eric because I don't I think Eric does all the dialogue stuff, uh, yeah. but whoever was in charge of that, it was a brilliant moment that that opening. They, yeah. Throughout the whole series, there's just a lot of like you know making fun of comic book tropes or. Just, you know, just kind of wink, wink things like, uh, I don't know, a uh, fantastical force, you know, yep. or the throwaways, which were like all like kind of, uh, spoofs on, you know, the fifth fantastic four members, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the, the temporary fantastic four members, you know, you got this, uh, the MMMS thing going <laughs> on. I, I don't know. I yeah. just little things here and there are kind of funny. Sometimes, it pulls me out of it, but you know, I, I, I kind of get a chuckle and, and I can appreciate it. Um, you think that's more Eric's end of things? Because Eric is known to kind of circle that well a lot. I mean, Eric is funny. He does a lot of humor yeah. stuff. Um, it's hard to yeah, say. I wasn't a big DC fan, so I didn't read as much Giffen. As you guys probably have. So I'm not, you know, coming into this knowing if there's little winks and nods to like past Giffen stories or if that's his style or. Um, yeah. The, I mean, the thing with Giffen, especially with the, the Justice League stuff, was that he would create these plots and not and just hand the pages over to J.M. Dematis to Matthias, however you pronounce it. And. JM would come up with a script based on that without any idea what was actually going on. So he mm-hmm. would contribute a lot of the jokes, a lot of the gags, the punchlines to the, the overall plot that Giffen had written. So there's a unique chemistry that works so well for that series. That's, you know, pretty much gone unmatched in comics world since then. But I think, yeah, I think Giffen is very much a plot guy, but he also does plot with the characters in mind. And I think, the strongest parts of the series, even, and, and I, I wrote a note down when I was, re- when I was reading this stuff earlier this week, uh, issue seven, which Kill Cat was in that issue, yeah, uh, was, I think, one of the strongest ones just because the characters were so well-defined that, like, every line they spoke was in their character. It was, you know, dark, dark getting frustrated and being the hard-nosed leader and all the other kinds of things. Watch the way the characters act in that, and you'll see they're not reacting to the plot, they're reacting in character to what's going on with them. Right. And I think that may be sometimes where Freak Force, I don't want to say goes off the tracks because that would be negative and I'm never <laughs> negative about this book. 
some of it where it gets lost a little bit perhaps is where we're getting more into the plot and trying to get through the plot rather than seeing the characters reacting to the plot and acting accordingly. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, I can see and that. some of that happens in these last couple issues, but there's also, this is a special occasion where we have to, you know, tie up all the strings and get all the plot lines done so we can get out of here with a complete story in the end. So I don't mind that so much. Do you, one of the things that like, you know, looking at these characters and again, maybe not knowing the complete picture, is there supposed to be some kind of resemblance between Chelsea Nirvana and like, I always got these like Megan vibes from Excalibur. Like I can see it. She's got a very similar costume. Uh, It's a weird design and I don't know. And the hair and the, the hair is black of nose. I don't know. The, the green bodysuit and the big hair. Yeah, that's enough. The very, to, the very high forehead. Yeah. As she it's becomes so more strange. and more manly. Yeah, that whole yeah, thing which she's I turning didn't really into a catch dude. on. Yeah, that whole thing with her <laughs> turning into uh, a dude is was kind of odd. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things you don't notice until you look after someone actually says it out loud in the comic, and that might have been an issue 18 where they first it's, said it's, it. It's an issue 18. You can see it. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you only really see it in 18 because after yeah. he mentions that, she becomes mm-hmm. completely flat chested. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the opposite of 17. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, the, the stinger on that on 17, she is still very much a woman. Oh yeah. With a lot of hair at the end of 17. Holy yeah. Cow. And a lot of forehead. <laughs> well, you know, big hair was in back then. So. <laughs> even, I mean, even dark, Holy cow. It's just pouring out of her top of her head there. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but hardest looks great in the last page of 17. They get that little like side angle of her eye and her mouth. It's great. It's probably your favorite drawing of hardest in the entire series. <laughs> the last page. Yeah. It's just her eye in the corner. Really? Her eye and nose. <laughs> <laughs> we got, um, we had a pinup in this issue, which was, oh. I believe the cover to the art of Eric Larson book that yes. never came out. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, that, that, that's why it's familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was an ad for it in one of the very earliest issues of Freak Force, or maybe yeah. it was in Dragon still. But yeah, that book sadly never came out. I was looking forward to it. It's, uh, um, I think a lot of people think it's a tiny dragon, but it's supposed to be a tattoo. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> fall. Doesn't follow the curvature of her chest. So that, yeah, that's the problem. They didn't have Photoshop warp back then yet. No. <laughs> It's a lot of real estate there for a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hell. Um, <laughs> you, you do realize we usually have Raven on this podcast, so uh, there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to make anyone <laughs> blush here. Good point. <laughs> uh, I do like the way um, Vic draws dark when she's in the basement, she's like all disheveled. Her hair is all messed up. Um, yeah. She's been attached of, to that wall for like weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it feels like forever. You must really hate that dress that Rapture is wearing then. <laughs> the, the, the pink, uh, whatever folded kind of thing that, oh, yeah. that she has some, her leg in a cast. It's easier to wear a dress at that. Yeah. Point. I mean, that's a maximum frump for, uh, it's like, yeah, <laughs> The most conservative dress for Rapture, which seems ridiculous, but okay. I was going to say it is Vic Bridges, but then he also draws Chelsea Nirvana, this issue, in the opposite direction. Yeah. So It's just uh, Rapture looks like a 
fifth grade school teacher for some reason. <laughs> That's a good description. <laughs> I still can't get over Chelsea Nirvana's hair. It's got those Liefeld like lines too going from it. Those little wisps of hair in the middle of the body of the hair. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It looks like Boom Boom from New Mutants 82 or yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever his first issue was. Do we ever find out who this uh, gray guy is? Is he just kind of a no-name well, he's character? Well, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a controlled, like, the V stands for what's-his-face, and uh, I think he's just one of his uh, program goons. I don't think he's anyone we've ever met. Oh, one, one panel that... Uh, as I'm looking at this gray guy, I'm noticing this other panel, and I forgot I was going to bring this up. The the panel where Super Patriot is just blasting the goons, and they just turn to skeletons. It's kind yeah. of a funny oh, panel. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like totally makes them skeletons. <laughs> That's uh, and I did notice a lot of times Vic Bridges was really good at drawing. That's right, I'm saying really good at drawing, <laughs> uh, which you guys probably hated. Uh, the way he draws Super Patriot fixing, changing his arm guns around, kind of like waving his arm and forming it into a different shape of a gun. You know, drawing the arm multiple times to show that in a single panel. Uh, which I'm sure probably confused you guys because you're not good comic <laughs> readers uh, earlier in the series. But he didn't do that here so much. I guess he had gotten I, tired of drawing it. You know, I do appreciate the style of gun with like the Kirby dots and stuff in there because it kind of yeah. makes more sense than like, you know, as much as cool as like the Dave Johnson guns look where they're shooting bullets out. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. You know, and of yeah, course, where, yes, where are the bolt? Where are the bullets coming from? Yeah, and, and does he collect all the shells back up like, later on? And it's comic yeah. books, exactly. But I'm just saying, like See, the, every the morning, he, he eats, eats a big old bowl of bullets. <laughs> reload the the kind of like uh, this giant like kind of blast furnace gun. <laughs> kind of makes a little more sense. God, he's a great artist. Really, it's amazing. <laughs> I was gonna throw it. Oh, also, like speaking of which, while well, uh, Super Patriot is blasting away there, the uh, Chris Eliopoulos is lettering. We got to mention it here: the, yeah, the Braca, 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 and all the classic, you know, comic styling lettering with the bullets and, and everything. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until we really did this podcast that I got, you know, I I did really notice it and liked it, but. You know, more and more like reviewing issues every month and looking at lettering, how much, you know, lettering is part of a comic and how much it changes the look of a comic. And when you have a great letterer, you know, he can really make it look great. Um, yeah. And there were a couple of times when I was reading the series as a whole where it seemed like the lettering changed sizes or something. I had to, to go back to all the issues and compare them, but there are a couple of issues. Yeah, in fact, here it is. I'm looking at now issue. Uh, Look at issue four. The lettering just looks larger. So I'm not sure if, you know, he had took the Ames guide out and drew off the different line or if the art was yeah. a different size or something. But it That's definitely strange. shrunk back down for these last couple issues. Especially in, you know, I'm assuming he's lettering right on the page. You have original yes. art, so uh, yep. you would know. But Yeah, it's all right on the page. It's not even pasted in. It's it's directly on there. Yeah. Those were a lot of uh, overnight FedEx bills between uh, California and New Jersey <laughs> back in the day. It is crazy to think about that. <laughs> it is. How many packages get lost anyway every oh year? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, like, being an artist and losing, like, even one page and just being like, I got to draw that over again? Yeah. <laughs> Serious? 
it's it's back in the day when not only did you have to ship the art around, but if you wanted to call your collaborator on the other coast, it was cheaper after eight o'clock at night. Yeah, long distance yeah. calls were expensive, and oh, it was a and, business expense, but still. And never mind just the cost of shipping everything. Yeah, and oh. you know you probably would want to get it like you know with insurance and everything else. Oh, for sure, and that's where they make their money is the uh, the express shipments. That's, that's where the big profit margins all are. And I'm not saying that because I happen to work for one of those shipping companies. Uh, so <laughs> well, I know insur- these things. Insur- insurance doesn't get you your art back, though. That's true. Yeah. But I guess uh, just like the signature um, in ensuring that someone signs for it. And- yeah, yeah. Hopefully people made photocopies before they sent them. That's true, too. But I imagine a I'm lot sure of people did. <laughs> and I'm sure people forgot to or just didn't bother in the rush of the day. And yeah. That could end badly. Yeah. So got sidetracked a little. Sorry about that. But it's, I'm only here <laughs> once every five or six years, so I, it's my fault. I apologize. I, I do want to say um, the one thing I do appreciate about Freak Force too is the the cast of villains. Like they over these eighteen issues, we've we've had some reoccurring vi- uh, villains, and they seem like they all reoccur in these last two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a lot of different designs, and uh, you know, I'm not sure how many just Vic came up with, and how many Eric just doodled and told Vic to just copy. But uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of like throwaway guys that you only see for a couple of panels. Um, but then there's a lot of guys that we're seeing that Freak Force battled previously. Yeah. So, Especially uh, in uh, issue 18 where they're in the camp there and they're fighting everybody. And to be honest, I just I, – I couldn't keep track of it for those couple pages. Like I don't know who's on which side at this point. <laughs> which group came with them to help free the, the campers and which ones are the, the camp folk who are fighting back? I, I kind of – Well, I Too many characters. The way you could tell is because he's, they all have like the Verlag costumes on, like the V on it. So the oh, yeah, ones yeah. fighting for Dr. Verlag are forced to wear their – I guess yeah, their uniforms. Point. What is that purple guy floating in there with the big fists and no body? I, it's weird. There's a lot of weirdness going on in these pages. He is uh, one of Dr. Nirvana's henchmen that got changed. Okay. So once uh, Chelsea Nirvana got Johnny Redbeard's power, one of the first thing was she rounded up uh, – his henchmen, her father's henchmen, and gave them powers. I don't know why okay. he's like a purple guy if he's supposed to be making fun of somebody. Probably. I don't think Bloop was around then. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> or, I don't know, Slimer or something. It's <laughs> the closest thing I could think of. But uh, So what you're saying here is I probably should have read some dragon issues alongside it, this to yeah. freshen up. Well, it is kind of funny. We get two characters that are floating without legs. You got that Hubert guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah hubert's a uh play on um what's the the fantastic four robot oh herbie herbie yeah, yeah he's part of the throwaway so he's one of the the so, fantastic so a- four characters that were throwaways right <laughs> right because uh yeah that was all the yeah that was all the uh extra characters that joined the team for at various points in their history. Cause I think there's a, there was a Luke cage and there was a, yeah. A Newgrange, Hubert, 
wild hair and rock woman who is uh Sweet. was it Miss Marvel that turned into the thing? Yes, yeah, she was a she thing. Yeah. <laughs> she thing. <laughs> and then you had Fantastical Force, which was Stretcho, Human Sparkler, Rushmore, which was like the four headed yeah. rock guy. Transparent Trish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've run out of names. We're going for alternatives <laughs> now. <laughs> so, all right, I guess we're in 18. I, I, I like the cover for 18. You know, the, like, oh, it's great. The, the of, ricochet uh, in front of the logo is awesome. Yeah. And you got the, you know, freak force. You know, you look, if you're looking at this cover, you're like, why the hell are they leading all these villains behind them? Yeah. Rapture's uh, neck might be missing a little bit, but it's, <laughs> it, it looks great. I'm just going to beat you guys to saying that. Cause Bar bag might have shrunk down in size a little bit, but you know yeah. we got to share the spotlight with the rest of the yeah. characters. There were, there's a bunch of characters in the back we can't see underneath the logo. That stinks. I want the poster version of this one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Eric Larson... Inked issue, and I don't believe him when he says he just couldn't get over looking at Vic Bridges' artwork and had to apply, had to take his chance here to ink <laughs> it. Part of me wonders what was the book just not making any money at all, so he couldn't afford an inker? Was the book running late? Was Chad Hunt not available? Well, or it, did he really just want to ink it himself? I'm not sure. It, it's funny this happened, uh, if only because this is the first time of two that a spinoff that he's been doing that he wound up drawing himself for the last mm. issue. Yeah, that, that happened on Supreme as well. That's right. Yeah. Um, if you look at the credits in the front, it says Eric Larson inks by swell headed big shot, hoping to get some attention and a feeble display of last minute effort. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Well, this truly made him a better artist in my mind, being able to work over the great artwork of Vic Bridges. You know, though, I don't feel like it's too overpowering. No, it's not. I mean, it's definitely Eric. You can definitely see his work on top, but you can still see most of Vic Bridges underneath. So I think it, the combination is great. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen some of his inks where it's pretty heavy handed and it almost looks just like Eric drew it. Like the, I'm thinking of like, uh, I'll say this. All right. The destroyer duck crossover. Um, mm, yeah. That, you know, I don't know what the artists look like prior to Eric's inks, but when I first bought that, that almost fooled me that I thought Eric just drew it. Mm-hmm. I will say this. It, this looks the most John Byrne with Eric inking it. <laughs> yeah, he he may have been thinking of Byrne as he inked it, really. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Because if you look on the first page, the one uh, dude who kind of looks like Superman. Yeah. Seems like yep. a very Byrne-Zian Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I've definitely seen... John Byrne influences in Eric's artwork in the past. For sure, I'm sure there's, yep. yeah. I mean, I'm sh- just for the amount of influence Byrne probably had in a lot of Eric's, you know, beginning and, you know, late seventies, early eighties when Eric was still, you know, somewhat of an amateur. Mm-hmm. John Byrne was all over the place. I mean, yep. his, oh, his sure. X-Men were, well, his X-Men were, all, were big, but he didn't get, I, 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 did he not, did he become all over the place more when he moved to DC and do, did all the Superman stuff? 
Well, he wouldn't. Wouldn't he had Alpha Flight, X Men? Oh, that's um, right. I forgot. I always forget Fantastic about Alpha Four. Flight and his Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four is a, yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah. a massive. Yeah, success. okay. You're 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 right. He does have a lot of Marvel yeah. work before he went to DC. And he did the uh, the Iron. He had Iron Fist series. He did with Claremont before X Men. Yes, I think it was. You're yeah. right. Yep. Absolutely. So he, he was he was all over the place. And he did Avengers, a, a, a bunch of Avengers mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And the Captain America that it ran. That yeah, kind of it seemed like they wanted to boost in sales. They kind of pulled him in, and yeah. he was like the hot thing. Yep. Um, and he did the Hulk before uh, Peter David came on, right? If is I that correctly. true? It wasn't Simonson? Is that true? Or was it? I thought it was Simonson for a little bit, no? Uh, we're going to have to Maybe Simonson just did the covers. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't know. that big into Hulk before Peter David, honestly. So. I mean, he did that She-Hulk run, so it makes sense that he would have a Hulk run. Oh, yeah. yeah he did the She-Hulk, and then Eric was already big when he kind of moved on to, like, Namor and... Uh, right. There is a Marvel Visionaries John Byrne, the Incredible Hulk in the 80s. I don't know the issue numbers yet, but... It uh, looks like he did seven issues of Incredible Hulk in 85. Okay. Um, yeah. Through... Oh, that's right. That ended in a Jim Shooter dispute. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, that may have been even a little bit longer before Peter David started. Yeah. Yeah, and he was a solo writer-artist on uh, on that Hulk run, that short yep. Hulk run. Yep. 86. Yeah, that, so that... This must be. You said there was a dispute, so this is what probably drove him to DC. Because in eighty six, sure in, in eighty six, he would have been doing his Man of Steel coming out of crisis. Man of Steel, yeah, right, yeah, good point. So Peter David took over Hulk in nineteen eighty seven. Oh, so wow. not too long. I didn't after. realize it was that early. Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. So three nineteen. I'm trying to figure out the exact oh, issue boy. number. There, there was around. an Al Milgram run between it and Peter David. I think. <laughs> okay. That, was that Al, Milg- Al Milgram's always got to come in to save the day? <laughs> was Al <laughs> Milgram doing a lot of the Gray Hulk stuff, or was that? At, was that? Did Peter David start the Gray Hulk stuff, or was that? Based on what him? I'm looking at, I see Gray Hulk on covers that Al Milgram wrote and drew. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm not much of a Hulk expert, so I can't say. There's Peter. Da- There's a Gray Hulk here with Peter David's name on it. I I want to say, based on what I'm looking at, Al Milgram may have started the Gray Hulk stuff, possibly. And thank you for listening to the Hulk with a Fin podcast. There's <laughs> a green character, one way or the other. <laughs> I forgot where we're going with this, but oh, the John Byrne influence and yes, all this in the inks. It's definitely there. You are correct. <laughs> what's up? What's the deal with like um? What's up with Hitler? Like, yeah, it's Hitler's so like. Why is Hitler the, here? Don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. I, I, I said Hitler is the greatest, but don't quote uh, me on Jesus. that. Jesus, <laughs> character. I'm sorry. In this book you did not have to repeat that. <laughs> I, I think these guys might be fascist guys. Yeah, <laughs> they that, might be. It, it's so on the nose. Like, make him a skinhead or something, but like. Uh, they, a Hitler guy. They're gonna make. It's, the it's freaks, so weird. They're gonna make the freaks pick cotton. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he repeats that line the couple pages later. It's great storytelling. Uh, yeah, I don't know who chose those that, but that's uh, <laughs> man. It's there, rough. There's, there's subtlety, I guess, is for weaklings. <laughs> you're you're talking about Eric Larson here. The man did a mouse parody for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> those don't go over well anymore. And he called it the best thing he ever did. <laughs> yeah, <I believe>. yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, he did. Just recently. <laughs> <laughs> That's trouble. Yes. Hey, we, can we talk about the best part of this issue probably right off the top? Can we just sure. open to the center fold, the center spread, the poster? Sure. This month. Uh, the Chrissy. Uh, the Chris Eliopoulos poster. Come on. Yeah. How great is that thing? I got to tell you, man, it's amazing, like, you know, uh, where Chris is at now and, like, how popular his books have yeah. become. And, and, you know, he's yep. got the cartoon show. And, and he started um, off drawing hard. It's better than Vic Bridge. No, I didn't say that. Oh, jeez. You were it's very cool. It. It's cool to see him cartoony like this. Yeah. I um, love it. It's also kind of funny because it looks it doesn't look anything like what his style looks like now. Yeah, well, no, it's definitely morphed over the years. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's cl- this is closer to what he does now than what he did on like uh, Desperate Times. I would right. say, sure, yeah, a yeah. bit more, bit more Watterson influence in that. Whereas yeah. this has kind of the dot eye thing going on that he would continue to do in his uh, uh, what is it, Ordinary People Change the World books. Yeah, yeah, but uh. Yeah, it's very interesting to see this early, early uh, cartooning style and uh, where where he's at now with TV shows and what have you. Yep. It all started with Savage Dragon. Oh, <laughs> speaking of multimedia properties, I, I don't know which issue it was way back when. There was a reference to uh, the animated Savage Dragon uh, cartoon being worked on at the time. Yeah, yeah. And someone had asked about Freak Force being in that. And, and his response was that Freak Force had been um, separately licensed to Universal. Oh, like, wow. Yeah, or someone, or not licensed, but, you know, optioned by optioned. Universal. So that, that didn't oh. work out either, unfortunately. Could you I imagine think, a world oh, with that? Only Barbaric shows up in the cartoon, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so, in yeah. the Savage Island cartoon. I don't, yeah, it's weird because no Super Patriot. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody from Freak Force is in there besides Barbaric. I wonder why Barbaric was allowed. I don't know. Was that in season two? I don't know. Maybe the option had lapsed by then. Maybe. I, I don't actually. I, no, I, I think he's in. I think it was season one. One, because okay. I think he's in like the the intro. Oh, okay. With She-Hulk. Yeah. I haven't been able to put myself through rewatching that series. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do think, I think. I think She-Dragon is in the cartoon. <laughs> so she's she another definitely character. Is, yeah. definitely is. Okay. Yeah. Um. It would have been cool to see an animated like Super Patriot. Maybe not in that cartoon, but <laughs> <laughs> you have to get someone in Japan to animate that one. That yeah. needs to be an anime kind of thing on Netflix. Yeah, I was hoping that uh, Savage Dragon was gonna appear in season two of Invincible, but it sounds like that will not be the case. No, which is funny too because I kept having flashbacks to Invincible every time the the government guy shows up in Freak Force. I'm like. Is he outside the same build? Is he working the same building as they always had the government guys in Invincible? Parking in rear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just always reminded me of the same building. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably probably just coincidence, or they're all both modeling it off of the same CIA building or something. I don't know. I gotta say, it was moderately annoying that both the Jake the agent, uh, what's his name, the inhabitor, and Jerry. Doctor, what's his face. Mm-hmm. All have yeah, similar hairlines. Leg. <laughs> <laughs> they do look a lot alike. Hey, middle-aged, you know? Yeah. Would you rather be the Avengers with a bunch of uh, blonde-haired, uh, blue-eyed guys? <laughs> <laughs> Eric Larson's watching out for the, the brunettes in this world. The brown-haired folks like us. <laughs> me, at least. I used to have hair. <laughs> I'm growing mine out. <laughs> 
you Lucky hippie. You. <laughs> so yeah, this, this, yeah, this this final issue, I guess, is just it's a, it's all the plot lines coming together to turn into a big fight scene. Um, mm-hmm. We get basically get Dart basically being the leader, leading uh, all the characters in. Um, yeah. We yeah, it's just a takedown of this organization and uh, everyone backstabbing each other at the end. Well, it's funny how Ricochet just decides she doesn't want to use her wear uniform anymore. She yeah, just says, "I'm not going to lie. Coats. This is actually my favorite Ricochet outfit now. <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's really yeah. cool. <laughs> it works. But that's what Never happens when you have again. multiple costumes. You have multiple ones that are great. <laughs> the, the sunglasses really bring it together. Yeah, at night." While attacking a, <laughs> a remote camp with only the moonlight above. Yeah. Okay. You got to protect. It's eye protection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From bouncing. All the bouncing around. Yeah. And she's got the leather jacket. Cause again, it's 1995 or so. Right. Yeah. And then we get all the, the fight of the freaks with the yeah. bag man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Bagman would do other than suffocate you. It's <laughs> about all I could imagine. Oh, and then you have the, um, the 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 best part again. Going back to the sense of humor of the book, of course, being the uh, Mighty Man subplot. Oh right, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. accidentally ends up transforming back. Then she, you know, goes back to was a Phyllis. Yep, and can't can't explain it fast enough and flies away too late. Uh, it's a nice little pl- plot device to keep like the strongest superhero kind of out of the picture. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Probably the whole point of it all along. And then wrapping up in the end with the f- coming full circle to the first couple pages of Freak Force One, kind of meet up with everyone at her door again at the end of uh, issue 18 here. Yeah, because they burn the uh, office down. <laughs> she burned the <laughs> office down. Yeah, by leaving the stove on. Brilliant. <laughs> They rushed out so fast, they burned the place down. It's brilliant. It's like every single person in Freak Force, besides like Dart and Super Patriot, is incompetent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The look on uh, Super Patriot's face when he's like, he's op- I'm open for any ideas at this point, going back to camp after the fire. Super Patriot is, so, is such a funny character because, yeah. you know, Eric could have just, easily made him like a captain america you know uh doppelganger kind of you know kind of guy just you know an all-american guy yes he's a cyborg but he's like you know a selfless all you know all-american but Mm -hmm. the way he's written he's just a grumpy dude like you know the issue before this he kind of wants to just quit because he's just had it you know like you could never imagine like steve rogers having that attitude it would be so weird uh, and that's, I think, the genius of the character. Like, he's, you know, if you just saw him, you would think he was supposed to be that patriotic kind of dude and just fall into those tropes. But he's definitely not. <laughs> no. You know, speaking of, we actually kind of forgot a key plot point in all of this in the last issue. Apparently, uh, Chelsea was, like, putting post-hypnotic suggestions in on oh. the computers. And, yes. And that's why they've all been acting like assholes. <laughs> <laughs> they explain the entire series on a page we forgot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> She's using oh. the computer, which doesn't have any games on it. 
<laughs> just hardest wanted to play games in a previous so issue like in the super door. so like super patriot hordus and dart were unaffected because none of them use computers <laughs> i don't know i guess i think that's the implication <laughs> that, that and then works. was it just left on when mighty man was in there and she just became adult or something <laughs> just burned the whole place down i don't know see now we have to reread the entire series again and see who's using the computer and when? And how do they act right afterwards? <laughs> or what was, was uh, the computer? Was, it wasn't just a computer, though. Wasn't it like sounds or noise or something in the building? It was controlling. Yeah, her, her father's an evil genius. So it's some kind of device yeah. that she's. That's what I chalk it up to. Yeah. So, 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 so the subliminal screen, disrupt. The, yeah. Yeah. The, it says sub, subliminal disrupt wave pattern. Uh, rolling wave pattern active. Undermine, undermine confidence. So whatever this thing is doing, it's supposed to undermine the confidence of everyone on the team. Oh, uh, maybe that makes sense of why Super Patriot was acting that way. Yeah. yeah. And so Discord. And that's right. Uh, the panel before Rapture is uh, drinking out of a highbrow mug. It's funny because I don't necessarily know that or think that that's needed because I just felt like their confidence would be undermined anyway. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't find it odd. <laughs> if that panel was never there, I'd never be like, why are they acting this way? It just seems like, I don't know. Yeah. They should feel that way. Like, I, it, it, maybe it helps explain. I mean, cause there was an ongoing plot line throughout the whole thing about how they just can't act right as a team, how they're all yeah. strong in their own ways, but they can never put it together. To, to defeat anyone, even as they defeat anyone, everyone anyway. It's always for, by accident. <laughs> yeah, it's usually by accident. They, they luck into something, or they have to get Joey out. Uh, something desperate has to happen. <laughs> With all those fights, I kept looking for, like, I was trained in reading enough Spider-Man comics to know if Spider-Man's in a movie theater fighting someone, he can spill the butter over the floor to help push the guy away and have him slide <laughs> across the floor or shock himself with the melted butter stuff like I kept looking for that in those issues and it never really no, came up. It's hardest presses the button or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the Deus Ex Machina shows up. <laughs> yeah. Was planted issues before so it's a good callback. We're fine with it. <laughs> Part of the ongoing storyline. It's good. Hmm. Because we never say anything bad about Freak Force. Remember that. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Barbaric <laughs> got pushed the limits in 18, though. This poor guy got raked over the coals for two issues and had his chance to break Verlag in half and uh, instead just knocked him over the head and then passed out. You know, I, I kind of thought it was cool, though, because Barbaric is always shown as like the lighthearted, goofy one. So to give him kind of like this. Uh, this role of, you know, the broken kind of just almost ready to kill yeah. somebody is very unlike him. And so right. it hits hard that, you know, this uh, villain has kind of put him through a lot. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Just makes you love him all the more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this series got nasty in the last few issues. I mean, people are just getting tortured left and right. Oh, yeah, and then, you know, the big reveal, not the big reveal, but, like, you know, you think that Jerry's kind of seen the way, oh, you know, yeah. like, you know, freak, you know, uh, Ricochet didn't mean to leave him behind, and, mm -hmm. you know, it honestly kind of fooled me. I thought it was all yeah. going to be wrapped up nicely, and then 
you know, he's like, ah, kind of fooled them. I'm still going to kill for a lag. Yeah. String the bastards up, he says. Yeah. Then he gives gives her, gives Chelsea, her, him, whatever the pronouns are at this point. Yeah. Uh, your army, sir, as he says. So this is just crying for a sequel. And Chelsea Nirvana's lost all of her curves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's got all of them. That's a hell of a V-neck shirt to wear as a man. <laughs> I guess that's it for Freak Force for now. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I had two letters published in this issue. Two. Two. I, I guess I was too late for the previous issue. Sixteen. Yeah, and you missed 17. the previous one. Yeah, that's why. I am the ceremonial final letter. Victor Just, Bridges' art is still amazing. I really hope you can keep him for something, anything. <laughs> I'm consistent. Thirty years later, <laughs> I still agree with me. Thank goodness. <laughs> I've had I've had a few thoughts on how to bring Freak Force back a, a couple times in the past, but you know the opportunities come and go as the cast of Savage Dragon shifts and wanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, it's, I thought, it's difficult. I, I thought a good time to like revive Freak Force would have been back when when um, Flash Mercury was Overlord and he was trying to reform the Vicious Circle. It would have been an interesting mm-hmm. idea to have like Overlord try to form a new Freak Force. And have like hmm. dragon and angel like lead it hmm. as, as like a like a and then you'd pull in like a bunch of like vicious circle goons to take the roles of all the uh, freak force members like yeah. powerhouse and Mako and uh, I think low blow I think was on my list <laughs> to be the hardest yeah. of the group yeah that could be an entertaining series you can yeah, pull, then, if you have the right crazy characters that could work yeah it was just an idea I had had at the time but uh, yeah. then low blow died and. Uh, then uh, Overlord turned out to be a bad guy after all. And, but like I said, it comes and it goes. And, you know, and, and the thing is, of course, now Freak Force has in a way come back because we do see the group, uh, most of it, still hanging out. Mm-hmm. And there's a new dart and a, a lightning yeah. girl is the new rapture. So there is sure. effectively yep. a Freak Force out there. We just need to put the spotlight on. <sighs> Who do Which, I have uh, to pay? Well, let's let's see what <laughs> goes on with this new SOS plan. That seems mm. to be in the in the in the future because I'm sure Malcolm will be recruiting, and we got all yep. those kids. We need to need to go into the grinder. Yeah, <laughs> we need them to have their own spinoff series. Not that this market would ever support such a thing, but we can always dream. Did you was was the the backup in one fifteen supposed to be a one shot? Did you ever hear anything about as, that, Augie, or as, know anything? No, I mean, as far as I know, it was always just a one-off thing. The way it, it, it kind of has to be. I think Eric was just trying to point out that Freak Force wasn't going to happen, Augie. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this whole thing was him telling me to shut up. <laughs> I do find it odd that, like, you know, like, I feel like he's still keeping them around and keeping the same characters. We're on, like, the third version of Dart, which yeah. is, like, the newest Dart is kind of a weird character. Yeah, like she looks exactly like all the other versions. It's just—it's kind of strange. Yeah, with no, no, um, none of no, with no like quirks to make her unique. Because again, yeah. unlike Allison, we at least saw her for a long time and before she became a full-on villain. Whereas this one is just a dart, another one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that could be her shtick. Whereas at yeah. least Lightning Girl, at, at least Lightning Girl is her own character. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, and they're still around to this day. Freak Force, they they have a, 
you know, that one character that is kind of interesting to me who, who's sometimes I get, I get stuck on these like characters that make one appearance, but that uh, chief Ren feather who was in like the Savage Dragon salutes the funnies issue. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like at the, um, he's at the reservation with freak force. It's kind of a funny character. I'd like to see him kind of do something with freak force. I think it's time to start making some fan fiction here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I tried with the original Freak Force once. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I had a, like a moving day script. <laughs> the, the story of Freak Force moving into their headquarters. It was eight pages and it accomplished nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Dark's like, we're not using it. <laughs> well, sometimes when you're submitting like these stories to Eric, you can't make too much happen because he yeah. wants to be the guy that makes this stuff right. happen. Yeah, I was just going for the gags at that point anyway. Right. As I recall, the story was ever, like every page was a single page gag of some sort. I have to find, I have to find that script. I haven't looked at it in a long time. I feel like I don't we got what it was. the closest to like another Freak Force comic we got was like the Mighty Man one shot mm-hmm. that um, yeah. Nikos did. Re- not recently. Now I say recently. It was probably <laughs> like five years ago, right? Yeah, it was like a backdoor it's... Freak Force pilot. It's so crazy when I think of like, you know, that's recent to me and you look and it's like, yeah, well, that was probably like five years ago or things I look at and it was like, oh, that was 10 years ago. No way. You know, <laughs> once once you hit 40, everything becomes 20 years ago. Well, I think about like the Savage World and that was only issue 100, you know, and yeah, it, when that hit, it seemed like Savage Dragon had been around for so long. Right. But nope. Yeah. And it has been around for so long, and thank goodness for it. Yes, yes. Without it, we wouldn't have this podcast. Exactly. And what would I do with myself? The Invincible podcast, probably. <laughs> and you'd make actual money. <laughs> uh, money's for suckers. Uh, well. <laughs> and hey, there's a bone ad in the back of this issue, too. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the ads yet. Yeah, yeah. bones coming to image. <laughs> What's that extreme comic that was advertised as well? Um, I forget his name. Which one? I think it was in the previous issue. Let me see. Oh, with like the different mercs, like oh, uh, right. Operation Night Strike. Right, Did that, that like ever a prequel was that ever published? <laughs> yeah, it probably was that one of the ones that Chris, uh, that Chuck Dixon wrote. Or no, he was writing for Wildstorm. He was writing like their Team Seven books. Night Strike. It's like it's like Chapel Operation Night Simmons. Strike. If you like the yeah. superheroes, I guess you'll enjoy them as non-powered yeah. commandos. <laughs> Lots of guns and explosions. <laughs> I never, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking at the letters column behind that. I, I never drew any uh, Savage Dragon fan art. I should have done that. What was I thinking? It's not too late. Yeah, maybe not. Can not I draw a Savage late. Dragon Smurf? Yes, I can draw you Smurfs. Can. I don't okay. know if we'll get published, but you can. <laughs> might, might be a copyright issue. <laughs> I think would that's. It, uh, would it be blue or green? Uh, I think it would be the first green Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> the tricky part is getting the fin to go over that white hat. <laughs> Not sure it how that just, works, but I'll work it out. It's almost the same shape, so it could just kind of go over it yeah yeah where the hat kind of flops over is where the fin rises up yeah you just make it pointy like it's kind of pushing to the edges yeah 
There I like go. it. Okay, I'm going to work on that now. <laughs> Wait till Eric listens to this. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hopefully he's not busy inking an issue, Wally. If he does listen to this, I'm not saying he will. He's busy inking an issue, and he just, like, the ink just fell right off the page. He's like, what the hell are they talking about now? He's subliminally thinking he needs to add Freak Force to uh, yes the the San Francisco contingent of uh, SOS or Youngblood or whatever they're going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> can can we uh, do something subliminally subliminally to his computer to some <laughs> Discord and <laughs> foment Freak Force to happen? We'll try. Okay, we'll we'll give that a shot on Facebook later. I think it's time, folks. It's time for Freak Force to come back. <laughs> we need a volume three. I, yes. would, I mean, do you you think we'll ever get a collected edition of Freak Force? Uh, I mean, never say never. I would just like a digital version of Freak Force. I mean, it would be good enough to just show up on whatever digital distributor we have left these days, yeah. right? Comixology or something. Um, I mean, I assume once you have that, then you have the files you need for a print collection edition. I mean, our, our one hope is that, you know, Todd McFarlane hires Vic Bridges to be the next Spawn artist. There you go. Everyone wants Vic Bridges art, and this is the best source for it. I mean, it would be pretty cool to have, like, a Super Patriot Freak Force compendium mm. and use, like, Dave Johnson's name to sell the thing. Yeah, that would work. But that's well, only, you, what, you six got... issues? You got two Dude. volumes of Dave Johnson, Super Patriot, and two volumes of Corey Walker, who's also pretty hot because of Invincible. Mm, so not, not two, no, not two volumes. The second one was done by uh, the oh guy. EJ Sue. Yeah. Oh, that's right. With Corey Walker covers. Same, same deal though. I mean, altogether, it's yeah. what six? To, uh, th- yeah, I guess it's like thirty-two. No, wait, uh, math is bad. Thirty-four <laughs> issues is probably a bit more than a single compendium could do. Yeah. Usually cut those off after twenty or twenty four, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do omnibus of every size now. Yeah. But I would say putting them all together would be the smartest way to do it. Yeah, maybe I'll take it whatever way they give it to me. I'll buy it. <laughs> I'm there first in line. Yep. Yep. So I'll write the board. Thank yeah. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> <laughs> Who else? Who else would have the knowledge, the dedication, and the knowledge that this is the best book ever made by Image between the years 1993 and 1995 <laughs> by an artist who left comics right afterwards? Just me. Well, sometimes Augie, you got to make your fortune. Yes. <laughs> well, Augie, it's been great having you on. Uh, oh. it, was, it was a long time coming, and we knew, we knew we wanted to get your 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 personal opinion on this, uh, and we got it. And oh, thank you. And I'm glad we've gotten through all these issues because, like, again, for for Raven and I, this was the first time we read these. Uh, Craig was re- the, his revisiting them, and uh, you know, so it was an interesting experience. Uh, I would say um, it was definitely worth it for sure. Um, if you're a Savage Dragon fan, you owe it to yourself to make sure you read these Freak Force issues because you learn thing you learn a few things that you didn't learn through the regular Savage Dragon series, there was an effort made to make these issues matter. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the good thing is, I think they sold pretty well back then. I mean, I know they yeah. ended at 18 because he said the sales are down, but you're talking 1995 numbers. So, yeah. so they're every, readily available. Every, everything was on a downward swing right about yeah. then. Um, uh, but there's plenty of them on eBay or on, you know, a back issue and back issue bins. Um, so they're, they're, Easy to find. 
Um, and they do tie in a lot with what was going on in the early Savage Dragon issues. Um, and they're just fun to look at. They're nice. Yeah. It's got a great letters page column. So there's a lot of like nice, you know, fun reading about kind of getting a feel about what, what was going on back then. And um, the one, th- one other thing I, I can't let this go without mentioning is the coloring by uh, Gloria Vasquez, who I don't know if she colored anything else in comics. I guess she did, but it's great in this book. It's super colorful. It's yes. bright. I mean, the, the paper quality trailed off a little near the end. Like the first issues were a little glossier and it held the color a little bit better. Last issues got a little darker, but I love the way she colored everything like super bright primary comic book colors, like pink and purple backgrounds in some cases and things that she wasn't going for, you know, that look of the time. There, there yeah. was some modeling in there, but it, right. was, it looks great. No, and I'm looking right now after you said that, I'm just kind of flipping through 18 and it looks good. I mean, like you said, back then is that period where people just went crazy and this holds up. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I love the coloring on this book. If if nothing if nothing else, uh, amongst everything else that's great about this <laughs> book, let's go straight down the line of all the creators involved. <laughs> They're all great. Even I hawk with their color separations. I assume they did a great job. I have no idea what that entailed. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh Icorn, of course, who was passed over for the new monkeys. That's right. That was oh, a yeah. thing, I guess, in 95. I'm sorry. I, that's, there's just one more side. That was probably uh, a thing road. in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> it's been ever thus. <laughs> Monkeys, the next generation, coming soon. Well, that's that's it. We, yeah, we wrap it, it up, Jim. We've, we've said it all. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been the Savage Dreamcast. I, I do one thing before we, we jump off. I want to remind people for, um, you know, Augie was nice enough to, to jump on with us. I do want to kind of promote his website, Pipeline Comics. Uh, like I know you, nice. we said we talk, you talk a lot about European comics, but you also still touch on American comics. You did have like a, yep. a series where you talked about your Spider-Man issues that got you kind of hooked into comics. Um, yep. so, One day I'm going to go back and finish that too. I <laughs> kind of trailed off there, but I got the first – 15 or so issues done. We'll, we'll keep going eventually. My favorite thing that you've ever done is when you did the image crossover month right up. Oh, thanks. Yeah, which, no, that was a good one. I like that yeah, one. Even that I like was, that one, if I may say so myself. That was great and fun, and I think you have the best write up on it on the internet. Like, I've looked around, and uh, I, you know, I don't know if anyone's added stuff since, but I remember at the time, like, if you want to kind of read up on that, that's, that's a great. Um, a blog post. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, just listeners out there, check out pipeline comics.com and, uh, take a gander at that. It's, it's fun and stuff. And then the link still to number your podcast. one, on, still number one on Google for image X month, by the way. Cool. Uh, because I, I wrote that thing, keeping in mind, I wanted to cover every last possible inch of that topic. So anyone ever looks for that on Google, they're going to find me first. Damn it. Nice. And, and they do. Thank <laughs> you. And, and, and the podcast is kind of, it's there you can listen to the nearly 100 episodes i did i'm not sure i'm going back to it right now but it is there and there's some good stuff if you don't want to read all the reviews i did audio versions of some of the reviews on there so there's lots of good stuff to cover there too cool thank you very much all righty you want to take it away jim (laughs) thanks for listening everyone (laughs) thank you (laughs)
Go home. You're drunk. 